No matter your opinion of Donald J. Trump's tenure as 45th President of the United States, there's no denying the fact that he's one of the most polarizing, divisive, and consequential presidents in American history. No matter which side of the aisle you claim to be on. Thus, I wanted to take a deeper dive into the overarching impact on Trump and what his presidency means for the next generation now and into the future. Thus, I enlisted the expertise of Robert Ted Gucci Jr., an associate professor, senior lecturer, media commentator on Trump, the media, and American politics at Lancaster University. He joined me this week to provide some insight on how we should view Trump's tenure in the Oval Office. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Absolutely. So, Robert, if you're ready, I'll welcome you to the program, and we're excited to talk to you about uh, President Trump and the uh, 2020 presidential race. So great to see you this afternoon, and thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks. So, Robert, I'm wondering if I could just start you off by generally asking you uh, just a broader question of what do you think has been the most impactful decision or policy mandate that the president has uh, undertaken as president? Well, I mean, I think one of the most important uh, aspects to his presidency has has been his treatment of uh, immigration policy. Uh, We've seen immense amounts of uh, effort and energy put into not just trying to build a wall or, or building a wall, but uh, uh, sending military and violence to the southern border with Mexico uh, that, that you know, looked at uh, deportation in ways that we, we hadn't looked at it under Barack Obama. I mean, certainly we knew that, that Barack Obama was uh, big into deportation, but Donald Trump's approach uh, through military and through his rhetoric, I think, set the tone in, in the 2016 campaign uh, of a us versus them sort of mentality and bringing in a lot of uh, fear. And I think that we've seen that that issue of, of immigration and his treatment of immigration and his treatment of, of immigrants, uh, certainly in the treatment of the institution of the presidency and by the institution of the presidency, it's, uh, you know, the presidency is not just one person, right? It's an it's a institution and organization around it. Uh, has been very inhumane to the individual uh, and to the collectives, uh, whether 
immigration should be, you know, a free border or not, and it should be free uh, mobility or not. But all of this set that tone and created uh, a landscape that uh, I think really fueled uh, policing in in, area, in cities of protest, um, where we actually have border patrol, you know, and, and we have militia and unnamed uh, police and military hired guns uh, arresting and beating uh, U.S. citizens. And so I, you know, I think that goes back a lot to the thing that probably got him elected in the first place, his, his anti-immigration position. And I'm just curious, do you think uh, his presidency has diminished America's standing on the world stage? Well, you know, I'm here in in, uh, in the United Kingdom where, you know, the same, very similar populism, um, which has been spreading across Europe, has, has led to Brexit, where in January, supposedly, uh, uh, the UK is leaving the European Union. Uh, and that doesn't put the UK in a very good uh, position. But uh, we also have leaders in the UK that, that aren't as divisive uh, with international neighbors. I mean, certainly with the continent, uh, relationships uh, need to be a little bit different. We're just so close and we don't have the economy. We don't have the military power. We don't have all those things that the United States still contributes to uh, in trying to be a world uh, leader. Um, so the United States was headed in this direction, I think, a long time ago before the war on terror, which itself was a, um, you know, a hegemonic movement across, across the world. Uh, run by some of the same populism that just didn't creep out until about, you know, 10 or so years later. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this was a long time coming, unfortunately. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't normally speak this way, but I, but I do think that, uh, you know, the president has kind of looked like a joke a lot of the time, uh, even though the things that we're talking about and that he's doing and talking about, and again, that the institution is allowing him to do, and the citizens that voted him in are allowing him to do, uh, there's nothing funny about it at all. So, you know, whereas we had, you know, George W. Bush who, who um, you know, spoke over himself and had his Bushisms and all these different different things and also led uh, uh, illegal and um, unpopular war, right, international war, um, you know, this, this has been different still you know he hasn't had you know donald trump hasn't had to drop the amount of bombs that that bush did uh but he does it through the way he treats people and the way that he treats uh international partners i think and how do you think he's fundamentally changed the state of american politics well, i think he's unveiled the hatred that's already there and you know and i think barack obama you know, I, I deal with a lot of things with, with journalism and how, how journalists are dealing with Trump and the changing political landscape. And I do think Barack Obama got away with eight years of, you know, pretty cush uh, eight years with the, with journalists anyway. Uh, there weren't major scandals or snafus that we can even remember. Uh, and so I, that was a different time. And, and Donald Trump came in right away starting to say that he can assault women and does it all the time and it's a fun and good thing to do and it you know everything just started to snowball after those uh those tapes were released and it just uh has become a circus um uh, th and that may not be the most scholarly term but there is a there is a circus 
mentality to this type of spectacle that we're seeing. And I think the influence is that it's actually showing that this whole time, everything's been a bit of smoke and mirrors, right? I mean, American democracy uh, shouldn't uh, have anywhere inside it a militarized police force the way that it does and a direct connection between the executive branch and the military to the degree that American citizens are being uh, arrested, shot at, beaten by, uh, murdered by the police uh, or and or by the military simply for for protesting. And, you know, again, um, there, you know, protesting isn't just standing peacefully on a sidewalk. Protesting can expand into other things that we might call looting and, and other derogatory terms. Um, but to some degree, that that should be a freedom uh, within reason, um, and you know, and, and that's where people I think disagree a lot. But this, what what I think Donald Trump's done essentially is put on the table the things that have been our sins this whole time, and uh, he's shown us that there's an infrastructure to support those sins. And let's talk about the coronavirus. Certainly it's uh, on the mind of everyone. It's still a global pandemic. So I'm wondering your thoughts on when he said uh, to not be afraid of the virus anymore and then his behavior uh, before and after he left the hospital after being uh, diagnosed with the virus. Yeah, I mean, he claims to be immune. Uh, he He... He claims that he's, you know, but he's also been immune from impeachment and immune from other from other aspects of of oversight by by the Senate, who thinks and the American people. I I think that Donald Trump is um, constantly focused on what Donald Trump uh, wants, and it's going back to when we first were introduced to him as a political candidate. Americans might have known him before that as a celebrity or as a developer, um, you know, failed or otherwise developer. Um, and I think that uh, when we were reintroduced to him as a as a politician, um, the people who who took to him were those who liked his plain speech and, and a bit of his his bad uh, bad mouth. And so, even in the face of a pandemic, right, it's fascinating to me how um, supporters are fine with kind of this wish washing away of what is a really serious thing? I mean, it kept me uh, shielded for three months. I didn't leave my house for three months here in, in England because I have respiratory uh, challenges uh, even before this, right? And, 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 but that's because, you know, I'm, I'm also very fortunate to have a house and to have a job and to have these things that allowed me to have, while, while uncomfortable, uh, something that I could, that I could survive. Um, he doesn't seem to even recognize that, and it's the same sort of issue with other politicians in, in history uh, who, you know, don't don't know how to spell potato, and, and and Reagan didn't know how much a carton of milk was, and for those things, that was kind of their downfall. Or Mike Dukakis running around in a in a tank, uh, you know, <laughs> but but also having his own um, ironies related to that, and. And that seemed to be their downfall. But for Donald Trump, he's got a golden goose. I mean, everything he touches turns into one of his uh, one of his buildings. So I don't know um, if the damage really from Donald Trump is um, that people continue to be drawn to Donald Trump or that he's moving them away from any sort of scientific realities 
about the 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 coronavirus and, and other and other issues. They seem to go where he wants to go and um, are leaving science behind. And that's a big problem when we talk about other things in, in the world. So if we ever want to talk about climate change or global warming again, right? Our, our supporters, uh, if he gets in for four more years, going to follow Donald Trump or whatever he says about it. Uh, or are they going to even listen to, to, to science? So, I mean, I think there are larger issues here, um, larger symptoms uh, here that he's shown through his behavior about, about the coronavirus. And uh, as you know, the uh, confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett are going on, and that'll certainly fundamentally change the direction of the uh, Supreme Court when she is eventually confirmed because the Republicans have the majority. So I'm wondering your thoughts on um, the whole appointment of Amy Coney Barrett and how that may uh, change the landscape of American politics. Well, for a conservative, I mean, this has been, must, must be an amazing experience to have a president in four years, but in three uh, so uh, three associate justices. I mean, this has to be just, uh, it, it is almost unbelievable. And it's unbelievable that, that journalists uh, and citizens are, are so focused on so many other things right now that the Supreme Court thing, you know, the, it's going on live on C-SPAN and, and on Reuters and other things, right? But it doesn't seem to be a, a, a bit of conversation. And I think that's, you know, a choice that was made to, to bring in, you know, white suburban uh, female voters or to solidify kind of that vote. Um, and so it's kind of a political move. And we don't know what's going to happen over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of this young person being uh, on the court, you know, because I do agree that I think that this will be um, taken care of here in the next week or so. But um you know, but we're also seeing people like John Roberts, who who was put on and was expected to be some some neoconservative, and and while some people might might believe that he is, hasn't really fall fallen in line with what the detractors thought he was going to be, and sometimes comes out as more of the center or moderate, um, and and people thought it was constantly going to be just a a right wing a, a ballot, you know, down the ballot uh, decision. So I think there's some concern about stacking the court, absolutely. Uh, but we also have a, a history where when we thought there was a stacked court, things don't come down uh, to that political position. They tend to come down as, as they would through, uh, through debate uh, on, on the court. I think the real issue also here is how federal courts have been stacked, right? And that's going to have an influence on what the Supreme Court sees and hears. Uh, and so I think the federal court system is something that most Americans don't really understand. I think it's immense and huge and complicated. Uh, and is it really talked about in journalism in ways where people can easily dissect what that is? And so they move to the Supreme Court as being the end all be all. Sometimes it is. Uh, but there's a whole infrastructure uh, that gets people to the Supreme Court. And I think that that's where it's been stacked and that's where we're gonna see the biggest influence uh, over the next generation. And let's talk about healthcare. Obviously, uh, Donald Trump is trying to uh, get rid of the Affordable Care Act. He has a case in front of the Supreme Court on the 10th of November, a uh, week after the election. So I'm just wondering, 
your thoughts on the uh, future of healthcare in America and how uh, we may look at it uh, now and after the election. Well, what's what's really sad about not not having really uh, robust debates or or, or a, a quote unquote normal campaign uh, because of of uh, COVID is we don't really even know what Joe Biden's position is on healthcare unless you're a big Joe Biden supporter. So uh, we haven't had good conversations where in the past you'd, you'd say, here's my plan A, B, and C. The other person would say, here's my plan A, B, and C. What you hear uh, this time is, we're gonna get rid of everything. Uh, and on the other side, everybody needs healthcare. And it's, it's been boiled down to such sound bites, and I'm being dramatic here, but it's being boiled down to swallowable you know, bits of, of, of information because the whole climate of what's going on right now in politics is uh, just been eaten up by the spectacle, by concerns of uh, coronavirus. But if, if there's any moment when we should see the value of healthcare, uh, it is certainly in the middle of a pandemic. And it's, and it's just shocking that that isn't the first and foremost uh, conversation uh, right now. Um, I mean, I certainly think issues of race and policing should be uh, up there uh, as well. But this one is is kind of looking at looking us right in the eye and telling us who we are as a society when people are getting these astronomical bills or are dying uh, from what conserv on, on on one side of the fence conservatives say is just a, a bad flu, uh, but the the others say is is a really serious uh, uh, virus that that could just do us in. And so I I think that. If, if we can get through this election, uh, depending on who's in the White House, we might have an opportunity to talk about uh, health care. And, and I think that what they need to do is bring back those images from March and April of people on ventilators, of crowded hospitals, and, and maybe use the fear of God to, to, to indicate to people this is the condition that some people look like they're in every single day. Uh, for other reasons than coronavirus, because they don't have access to adequate health care, uh, or uh, if they do have access to it, they're left broke for the rest of their lives, uh, simply just to be alive. I've got two more questions for you. The, the first have, having to do with uh, police brutality and po police reform. I'm just wondering your thoughts on, on the state of that discussion uh, going uh, forward in America. Well, I, I think the defund movement, right, um, would be really helpful with visuals. I mean, I, I think it would be helpful for Americans and their own communities to see what weaponry their uh, officers have. So there are lots of things that, that need to be pulled apart in, in policing records of, of how police operate, uh, the procedures and rationales, policing patrols, how and why people are characterized for, you know, during particular stops. Um, but let's just look at the arsenal. You know, uh, I remember right after 9-11 when I was a journalist, we would write all these stories about just local, average, normal communities that were getting massive amounts of federal dollars to protect, you know, these, these obscure parts of the country from terrorists. Uh, that money went into uh, military-grade weaponry. Surplus was another thing that made its way into police stations. I worked at a university in the U.S. that, for all intents and purposes, had a tank. Didn't have a, a, a big uh, 
gun barrel coming out of it, but it was military grade, uh, bulletproof. I mean, it, it, what does a university need with that? Why do universities need uh, military grade weapons? And the answer is, well, other people have weapons, so we need to have weapons to protect ourselves. I mean, that's just a fundamental difference between different segments of, of society. But we should actually look, you know, write down and show pictures and have inventory of what our police have and ask, why do we need all of these weapons uh, that, that are being used against Americans? We don't have terrorists uh, parachuting in like it's Red Dawn. Uh, so why does some some obscure place have military level weapons because we know from policing that along with being part of that institution come ideologies that um that are extremely dangerous when those weapons are in people's hands in very tense uh situations so i, I think visual communication here would be vital because i think people would be astounded the types of things that police have that they are using or threatening to use against us. And then my final question for you is, what do you anticipate uh, is still gonna happen in just just uh, a little over three weeks and with the election? I'm assuming uh, Donald Trump does lose uh, on November the 3rd. What do you uh, think about the future of the Republican Party? Well, on November 3rd or 4th or whenever we're allowed to have all the ballots uh, counted, um, which makes us go back to maybe we shouldn't try and do this all in one day. Um, the, uh, you know, Donald Trump's going to win either way, at least uh, for a short period of time. Either he's going to uh, get into office because of, of the, the ballots in the Electoral College that's counted. However, they're going to decide that this year if the Electoral College is going to fall in line with popular vote or not, which would be, again, amazing. Um, or, uh, you know, he's going to fight Biden and, and the Democrats by taking this into court and spending, you know, half of Joe Biden's uh, term uh, in the court fighting, fighting, fighting the results. I mean, he's pr pretty much told us he won't leave the White House, but, you know, you know, some of this is is just being mouthy, uh, but he won't leave the White House in spirit if he if he's got everything caught up in the court system the the entire time. I, you know, if he um, if he wins, um, you know, I think we're going to see again a return to where he started from. Massive changes to immigration. I think naturalized citizens are going to be under threat. Um, unfortunately, I think that he might he might move in some of those directions against some of those. Uh, those individuals and those rights. Um, and I think if Joe Biden gets in and Donald Trump goes back to New York and, and goes back to being a celebrity or, or a developer, there's a lot of stuff that's, again, been unveiled that Joe Biden's going to have to answer to, right? How did we get into this place in the first place? What are the biggest issues that need to be cleaned up? Um, do we need to really go against every single policy that Donald Trump put out there? And if we do, what does that mean for, for either bringing us together or dividing us even further apart? Uh, because if Joe Biden goes in there and unravels everything Donald Trump did, you know that Joe Biden's going to only have, uh, he'll, he'll only be a one-term president. Uh, we have a lot of angry people on both sides of, of the aisle out there, unfortunately, in, in America. And Joe Biden's going to have to figure out uh, how to bring everybody on to the same table uh, to get along and to move us in one direction together. 
Hey, Robert, I want to uh, thank you for taking a few minutes uh, today to have a wide-ranging and diverse discuss, uh, discussion about uh, the 2020 election and the future of American politics. Really enjoyed our discussion, uh, and I want to thank you for being here today. Great, thank you. Fantastic.